0: Thank you for listening to this message from Northwest Hills Community Church in Corvallis, Oregon. You can learn more about our church at nwhills.com. Today, worship director Justin Jackson is talking about worship. In Revelation 5, we see every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them worshiping him who sits on the throne and the lamb who was slain. It's passionate and joyful worship. Do you feel an overflow of passion and joy when you worship God on Sunday morning? After the message, you're invited to answer some application questions, which you can find on our website right under the worship service video. Now, here's today's teaching.
1: Good morning, my family. And good morning, guests. Man, if you don't know my name, I'm Justin. I said that already, but... You know, I'm the worship director here, and uh, as I was thinking about it this week, that is like the biggest blessing, and one of the biggest blessings in my life ever is like this job. Like I get to worship God like through music, which is one of my passions. You know, I think for me, like I have that Eric Liddell moment. Like every time I'm up here, like it's like this is what I was made to do. I feel God's pleasure um, when I get to to worship God like through music, and 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 so I just love it. And those of you who know me, like know me really well, know that I don't just like to like do worship on Sunday morning. Like, I like to study it. I like to read about it. I like to talk about it a lot. Uh, a lot of my community group buds will tell you that I probably have annoyed them a few times with conversations <laughs> about worship and all the stuff that goes with it. But, but I, I love it. And so when Josh, you know, kind, kind of came to me, and was like, hey, you're going to preach for the last Sunday of our ministry year. And he was like, hey, you want to do a, a sermon on worship? I was like,
0: absolutely,
1: I will. So yeah, spoilers. Uh, today we'll be talking about worship. And as like sort of a main theme, I kind of want to address two questions that I've actually had posed to me like multiple times as, a, as like a worship director or like a worship leader even back in college. And there are two questions that come from two different sources. One question comes from like the longtime church attender and one question comes from like the first time church attender, the person who's like never been to church before, maybe doesn't have a lot of experience with like God's word. And the question I hear a lot of the time from the longtime church attender kind of takes the form of like, well, how do I worship God well? Or uh, maybe it's like, uh, what's like the best posture to take during worship, or like, how how do I worship in such a way that God like really lo- like enjoys and loves my worship? Which may seem like an odd question, but honestly, like I am telling you, I've heard that question many times, and I've actually I've pondered it quite a bit myself. And then the other question coming from the uh, first time church attender, I just want to like address that tension. Is you know, oftentimes someone will ask me like, well, why should I worship God? Like, what what what's the purpose of my worship of God? Like, why why should I even bother with with worshiping God. And, and, you know, if that's you today, I want to acknowledge that tension. Like today we're going to be making a lot of assumptions about like the truth of God's word and who he is. And if you're just not there yet, like I, I would implore you, like, come talk to me, talk to Josh, talk to any one of these leaders that you just saw up here. Uh, We'd love to just converse with you and see where you're, and like hear where you're at with, in terms of like who God is and what he's done. Um, but yeah, I just I want to address those two questions this morning, and we're gonna do it um, by kind of uh, going off of three main points. I'm gonna have a three point sermon. Yeah, surprise, surprise. Um, and uh, we're gonna ask those questions by looking at three things. We're going to one, we're gonna define worship this morning. Uh, two, we're gonna define God's place in our worship, and then three, we're gonna kind of as a kind of application, we're gonna say, okay, well, what about Sunday? Why Sunday? Like, why? Well, how does this apply to like what I'm doing right here on Sunday morning? So we're going to start not at the beginning, but at the ending uh, of the Bible. We're going to start in the book of Revelation. And uh, personally, I think Revelation sort of gets a bad rap. Like I think a lot of times we think of Revelation and it's like very um, apocalyptic and there's like beasts and harlots and plagues and all this like weird, crazy imagery. Um, But I love Revelation because it has some of this like the coolest, most epic like images of worship that we get in the entire Bible. So I'm going to ask you guys to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, we've got a bunch over at the Connect desk if you need one. Um, and yes, I did say Revelation chapter 5. I didn't specify verses because we're going to go through the whole chapter this morning. Don't worry, it's short. Um, and while you're turning there, um, just as a little fun side note about Revelation, uh, Revelation was a book written by John, the same guy who wrote the book of John that we just finished our series on. Um, And uh, if you remember last week, Josh talked about, um, you know, Peter and Jesus was telling Peter like kind of how he was going to die. He was saying like, you know, you're going to get led away, uh, not of your own volition. Someone else is going to clothe you. And and so Peter is like, well, well, Jesus, what about John? What's going to happen to John? And Jesus is like, don't worry about it. That's my horrible Bible paraphrase. Well, it turns out John, he actually outlived all the rest of the apostles um, and in his old age, he was exiled to an island called Patmos. And there he received what we call um, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is like this crazy fever dream vision of like, what God's going to do in the future. So there you go, Peter. You either die a martyr or you see yourself get crazy fever dream visions from the future. So, so here we go. Uh, revelation chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, just you know, close your eyes and let God's word just kind of like set the scene for you, all right? I'm going to read this whole thing. And then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, this is God, by the way, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I, John, began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more, for behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And then between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll and from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and 24 bowls of full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Mm, I love that. Could we just sit in that for like a second? Right, that is so awesome. It's like such a cool picture. But you may have noticed, I mentioned we were going to talk about worship today. The word worship doesn't even appear in this passage until the very end of the chapter. Like it's it's the last word of the chapter, right? The elders fell down and worshiped. So does that mean that everything that was happening before that was not worship? No, <laughs> no, spoilers, worship is, it's all worship. Like, worship is happening throughout this entire scene, it never stops. So, that brings me to my first point what is worship? Okay? What is worship? I'm the worship director at this church. Many churches have like worship pastors or like worship leaders. Uh, And more often than not, those titles end up being synonymous with like music director or music pastor or music leader. And the reasons for that, I think, can be pretty obvious all throughout the Bible. uh, One of the best examples we have of people worshiping God, and even in this passage of Revelation, um, and it's often the one they're most instructed towards uh, is, sing, is worship through singing, right? Um, just some examples, Isaiah 42.10, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. Does that sound familiar from what we just saw in Revelation? Ephesians 5.19, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. And then Psalm 105.2, an actual song, sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of his wonderful acts, right? You know, obviously music is a very important form of worship, but catch that, it's a form. And we want to get to what the core of our worship is today. So as much as I love music, and I do love music tru- church, truth is we're actually not going to cover music today so much. I mean, there'll be a little bit, but we're, we're going to cover like this general idea of worship. Maybe perhaps a sermon for another time, we can dig into to worship as music. But uh, let's start uh, with the word worship. If you hunt, for the origin of our modern English word worship, uh, you'll end up on some pretty interesting rabbit trails. So here we go, uh, linguistic etymology time. For those of you who have heard me preach before, you know that I love doing this. Like I just, I love words and like the origins of words. So every sermon has one that are like a Lord of the Rings reference, but but anyways, uh, worship. So at its most basic root, the word worship means to give something worth. Okay. Uh, or to place worth into something. It's where we get that first part of the word, the, like the W-O-R. That comes from the old English word for worthy or like worthiness. But come on, we, we, old English is not nearly far back enough, so we can go back further. Uh, before the Bible was translated into English, uh, we had something called the Latin Vulgate, which was the Bible from like Greek and Hebrew translated into Latin, which was the language of ancient Rome, which is where, you know, Jesus lived. Um, and in Latin, the word for worship is cultum. Cultum. Now you might hear that word, and the first thing that might come to your mind is cult, right? Uh, which makes sense because for most of us, we know by definition a cult—the thing that cults do most of the time is they worship something. Uh, but it's also where we get our words for culture and like cultivate and agriculture. You see that? And uh, and the reason for this is the Romans had one root that described three connected things—things things that they felt were connected: manual labor, societal ideals and worship of the gods. Well, why? Because the Romans believed there was a direct correlation between your job, you know, most people were farmers, and the thing that you dedicated uh, your love and devotion to, the gods. And both of those things combined to inform your ideals as a society, right? Your culture, you see in that? I was listening to a podcast last week from one of my one of my favorite social commentators, uh, Mark Sayers. He's like a church leader and a sociologist in Melbourne. A Sociologist, I like I like that. He uh, he had this great line. He says cultures are built around what they worship. Think about that for a second. Cultures are built around what they worship. What does our culture worship? Think about what our culture worships nowadays. And that's not enough. We could take it all the way back to the Hebrew, right? Uh, in Hebrew, Josh helped me out with this this week. Uh, in Hebrew, the uh, the word most associated with our English word worship is avodah. Okay, but check this out. Avodah also means, it's also translated as both work and serve. The Hebrews didn't have a distinction for like the, the work that you did in the field, the services you offered your neighbor or the worship you offered up to God. It was all the same. The point was something that required your time and your effort and something that required your love and devotion were both subjects of your worship. They were objects of your worship. So here's my point. If you are worshiping something the moment you dedicate any time, effort, love, or devotion to it, then by definition you are always worshiping right? Like you never stop. Uh, you are a creature that at its very core was made to worship. And your worship is displayed by the worth that you place on things by dedicating your time, your effort, your love, and devotion to them. Does that make sense? Okay, so we just we just brought worship down to kind of a mundane level, right? Like if everything is worship, then like washing the dishes is worship, and driving the kids to school is worship, and going to work is worship, Right? Well, yes, kind of. I mean, which is why we have passages in the Bible like Colossians 3:23 or uh, Colossians 3:23. Sorry. In Colossians 3:23, Paul says, "Whatever you do, like whatever thing you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men." Which by the way, the context of that passage is Paul exhorting us to live for God in the mundane parts of our lives, like our job, our community, our family, right? So let's return to Revelation and see where that worship should be focused, okay? Point number two, what is God's place in our worship? Well, here we see what is, in essence, all creation centering itself on two subjects, okay? God, who is seated on the throne, and this lamb, which if you don't know is a reference to Jesus, uh, who is often called the lamb who is slain. Um, So all creation, the angels, the elders, these four living creatures, all that lives on earth and in the sea is worshiping God. Well, why? Why are they worshiping God? Why is God at the center? Check this out. Verses two through five. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of Judah, of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. As a quick side note, I love I love how real John is with us. Like he's the author here. Like he could have not included the part where he like cries like a little baby. You see what I'm saying there? Like he, he weeps, he says, I began to weep loudly. Like he doesn't mind being real with us. I love that. But why is he crying? Like it's just a scroll, right? Like why does it matter if, if no one can open it? Well, check this out. This scroll contains within it God's final work of salvation for humanity. It's the final like drama of history. It's like the end of time itself and the ushering in of Christ's new kingdom. It's like, it's the finale of our story, right? And when the angel asks who is worthy to carry this out, no one steps forward. No one says a word. Just sit on that for a second. Like imagine... The final part of the book, like just never being written, okay, you feel that emptiness, you feel like maybe your, your your heart drop into like the pit of your stomach a little bit like that's that's what that 's what John is describing here I, he like he can 't take it like this is horrible but but there is one, just one who is worthy he's described as the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, who has done what church he is conquered. the elder doesn 't specify here, but uh but what, uh, what, he's, what he's saying is that, um, that Jesus has conquered sin and death and in so doing has made himself worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. And I love that like right after this, this is so funny, I love, I love, right after this, um, the, when the elder says, uh, you know, uh, right after this elder says this, what walks up? A lion? No, a lamb. A lamb which John describes as standing as if it had been slain. Um, No joke, church, uh, the Greek phrase here literally means, uh, I don't know, graphic content warning maybe, um, with its throat cut. Like that's what that phrase actually means. Um, I know, sorry, that's a little graphic, but this is a graphic scene. This bloody lamb is like a representation of Jesus who died as a sacrifice for our sin, then like a lion, wrestled and defeated death so that we could live. And the text literally spells this out, why he is worthy in verse nine and 10. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God. I love this. From every tribe, language and people and nation, you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. His worthiness is right there in the text, right? He ransomed us. He saved us from our sin and from death. And that's a huge deal. But also then he ransomed us to himself into a kingdom of priests made up of people of every tribe, language, and nation. You see in that, Jesus became worthy to finish God's ultimate plan of salvation by letting himself die for us. On like a universal level, that's huge because it shows he's like the only being with power over death. But it's also huge for each of us on a personal level because he loved us so much that he chose to die in our place to free us from sin. His power and his love are both indicators of his great worth. The one who is worthy to open the scroll is certainly worthy of your worship. Okay, so now we know why God is worthy of the worship we see here in Revelation. But what does that have to do with like me right now here on Sunday morning? Like what does that mean for me at Northwest Hills on a typical Sunday? How does this inform my worship? Well, uh, you know, why do we meet on Sunday and meet for a worship service? First of all, uh, our worship service simply serves as an opportunity for us to gather together as God intended, like as a community Um, you know, to meet with one another and to worship him, right? That's the first and foremost, like, it's our outward uh, expression uh, of worship through, like, physical manifestation, like, with our hands, with our mouths. Like, Sunday exists for us to have that outward expression. Secondly, our worship services are intended to reflect what our future with God will be. You see, every image we have of, like, the throne room of God paints this picture of endless worship. That God is like the epicenter of this unending chorus of praise and adoration where his people can express their passion for him uh, as a response to who he is and what he's done. But I think, um, I think sadly, a lot of us picture heaven and it seems like uh, it would kind of get old after a while, right? Like, uh, you know, maybe you're not especially fond of music or, or maybe you're, you don't like how, how your voice sounds when you sing and, and you kind of think like, wait, like that's, that's what eternity with God looks like? Uh, I don't know. Like have you ever imagined heaven, like has anybody else done this before? I do like this, this was like my image of heaven when I was younger, right? Of like a few clouds kind of floating dispersed and there's like a few people per cloud and they've all got their white robes and their gold tassels and their little halos and harps. And they're kind of like singing a little song that's like the same thing over and over again. And, and like, it's like, I don't know where that image of heaven came from. Um, But it's not what we actually get here in Revelation. What we see here in Revelation is something very different. Look at verse 11. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy. That phrase saying with a loud voice, um, that's like... That, that, in the Bible, that's like our modern English words. We have a bunch of modern English words for that. Like saying with a loud voice is like yelling. That's like shouting. That's screaming. Like that, that, those are what these words are. Now, when I try to picture thousands upon thousands of people screaming at the top of their lungs, I don't think of a few people floating in clouds, drumming harps with little halos over their heads. My first thought actually um, goes to Reeser Stadium. Right? Is anybody, has anybody ever uh, been to a football game at Reeser Stadium before? Okay, I have quite a few hands. Can anybody tell me uh, the maximum capacity of Research Stadium off the top of your head? Anybody know that little trivia point? I heard 45,000 coming from this side over here. It's 45,674 people. Like, think about that. That's insane. Have you ever been... If you haven't been to a Beaver football game, maybe, like, who's ever been to a Timbers, a Timbers game up in Portland? I've also been to one of those. Okay, how about a Seattle Seahawks game? Lumen Field, 72,000 people. Like, I can't even... Like, I've never been there, but, like, I can't even fathom that many people all in one place, right? Now, if you've ever been to a sporting event like that, or, or some kind of event like that before, I'm betting you could instantly recall a moment where the home team, like, pulled off this amazing play. Maybe, like, a running back got this incredibly awesome breakaway, and he starts just booking it down the field. And there's, like, like an electric current. Like, something just, like, explodes across the, the stands. You know what I'm talking about? And people just go crazy and they just start screaming and yelling and hands are raised. And, and 72,000 people all at the same time are up out of their chairs, arms like raised like that, that. that's There's this overflow of passion and joy in response to what's going on, right? Like everybody in unison together. like and, and even here's the funny thing. Even if you like don't like sports, even if you're not a fan of sports and you've been to one of these events, like It's infectious. Like that happens and you're just like, yes, I'm there. Let's go. You just start screaming, right? Okay, imagine that. Except the crazy thing, like the crazy play that happened is God of the universe setting all wrongs right, wiping away all tears and removing brokenness from the world forever right? And the crowd is not thousands and thousands. It's millions upon millions. And it's not just people, but it's angels and other spiritual beings. And unlike a sporting event where like that play lasts for maybe 10 seconds and then we all sit down and we like wait for the next big play to happen, that like euphoria, that euphoric feeling keeps going and going and going and never stops forever and ever. Hopefully that gives you kind of a newer like idea of what heaven will be like someday. And that is an image, a reflection. Our Sunday services are a reflection of what that will be, right? We attend football games to jointly celebrate the teams we love, right? Well, we attend church to jointly celebrate the God that we love. I mean, have you ever wondered why we clap at the end of like a worship song? Like, woo, right? Like, we're not clapping for the band. I mean, I hope you guys aren't clapping for the band. Like, we're not clapping for the band. Like, we're clapping to celebrate our God. Like, he is a good God. We're celebrating him, right? Right? It's like our overflow of passion. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, let's do it. Like just, just start, yeah. Like he's good. He's really, really good. And he deserves that kind of adoration, right? It's this overflow of passion. That's what Sunday is. We get to, we get to let out our passion for God. Just as like a tangible example, a different example than here in Revelation of what that overflow of passion looks like, you know, I want to direct you, your guys' attention to another scene of worship found in the Bible. Again, one that actually has nothing to do with uh, music, um, but has everything to do with that overflow of passion. Um, you don't need to turn to your Bibles, but it, you can if you want. It's, uh, Luke, it's a story from Luke 7. And Jesus, it's, it's one of the Gospels, it's Jesus. He's attending uh, this dinner put on by this Pharisee, Simon. And uh no doubt the the spread was great, like Simon probably spared no expense. It was probably a great dinner. but in the middle of this scene in the middle of this this dinner scene, um this woman comes on the scene and she creates a scene like and it's a scene like it's embarrassing like this it's It's like one of the weirdest things. I mean, just imagine how awkward this would be in the middle of a formal dinner, she pours perfume on jesus's feet, then proceeds to wash his feet with her tears, she's just weeping. And then her tears, and then she wipes his feet with her hair, okay this sinful woman, and the text actually tells us that she was her sins were many like that's that's what the text actually tells us. Um, she creates this incredibly awkward moment at the dinner party. She embarrasses herself in front of Jesus, in front of Simon in front of all of his guests. But if you've read this story before, you know Jesus's response to this woman's act of worship, right. Though she and Simon both offered their like time and their effort to Jesus, her sins were forgiven. Why? Because she was painfully aware of how broken she was and how badly she needed a savior. Simon was not. To her, Jesus was worth all the shame and embarrassment of stooping to his feet and washing them with her hair. Like it, it, she just overflowed with this passion. She felt so she was so emotionally attached to what Jesus was doing. Okay? So church, please, I beg you, do not allow yourself to be Simon and keep worship within like the sphere of what's comfortable, right? Don't miss out on the chance to express your gratitude to him because you're worried about what others might think. Like we're at church, like nobody's, we're we're not here to judge. Like we're here to celebrate, right? Like Jesus wants the overflow of your passion. You know, take joy in his worship. Be encouraged by the people around you. Like that's what we're here for. That's what we're here to do. So in closing, I want to I bring us back to our, our two main questions. How do I worship God well? And why should I even worship God? You know, for the, for the person asking the first question, worshiping God well is accomplished by, one, understanding what worship is. You know, that we're doing it all the time, you know, whether it's God or something else. Two, understanding how worthy God is of your time, your effort, and your devotion, because, not only because of who he is, but what he has done. And three, letting our passion for him overflow when we gather together, which is just a reflection of what our worship will ultimately be when we are before his throne. And then for the person asking the second question, why should I worship God? You should worship God because one, you were made to worship and worshiping anything other than God will ultimately leave you unsatisfied. Two, he is worthy of your worship. He truly is. And he proved that by dying for you and inviting you into relationship with him. And three, worshiping God is awesome. Like, you've been invited into that joyful outflowing of passion. Like, it's, it just is. Now, um, I'm going to invite the band up as I kind of close this out here. And they're going to join me on stage for a final song. And, um, and I'm going to join with them uh, as we sing. And, and we're going to sing a song that the words are like literally verbatim what we just read in Revelation. And we're gonna sing of how worthy God is. And I just invite you in this time to like join with us in that outflowing of passion. Because um, to, together we are the church and we are a people who love God. And we know that, you know, I know that so many of you know, like, I love God. I just wanna know how to worship him well. He desires your out, the outflow of your passion. So would you stand with us? I'm gonna pray as we close out my, this, uh, this service with a song of praise. And heavenly father, you are so good. And it is such a blessing to get to worship you, God. It's so cool that we've been invited into that. Lord, I pray that as a church, we would be a people who show our joy for you um, through our worship, that you would be blessed by our worship, but ultimately we'd be showing the people around us. You know, this next year, our calling is is to make you known. Um, And we want to make you known through our worship. We want to show people that we have passion for you, that that you are a God worthy of our passion and the outflow of our passion. So God, we thank you for everything you are, everything you've done. And we want to make make it known that you are worthy.
0: It's in your name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to today's teaching from Northwest Hills Community Church. We hope you find ways to apply the gospel to your life. And be sure to check out our website, nwhills.com where you'll find ways to engage, including resources like our application questions. Thanks again for listening.